This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, exclusively on the Bun 2.0, KBUNFM 104.5. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors is sponsored by DS Beverages, Paul Bunyan Country's distributor of Anheuser-Busch and Budweiser, by Northern Surplus Northern Outdoors in downtown Bemidji, and Bonded Lock and Key, your home for Liberty Gun Safes. We have a couple of guests today discussing the discovery of zebra mussels on Lake Bemidji. We're going to get started with Gary Barnard. He's the area fisheries manager out of the Bemidji office. Gary, let's get right to it. Uh, We just found out, actually, I think... Um, I've heard that uh, there was some suspicion for a while, but it's more or less been confirmed now there are zebra mussels on Lake Bemidji. Yeah, it's been confirmed. Uh, It's finally went through the uh, listing process, so it's officially listed as infested waters now. But how long were there suspicions out there? Well, this summer sometime, uh, the uh, the first adult zebra mussel actually showed up in a perch that was caught over uh, by Bemidji State Park, and that one was confirmed, but they do try to uh, do some, some more confirmation, so there was some dives made. Um, there was some toes made for the villagers, which is the uh, small reproductive part of the uh, the zebra mussel life stage. And they found one of those, so really not a lot there. But uh, recently now they've found a number more of the adults on some docks that were being removed and stuff this fall. So there was enough evidence there to know that the uh, the lake was indeed infested. So when you first hear about that or see proof of it, then what do you do at that point? Well, uh, like I say, they do try to confirm it so it's not just uh, one uh, one individual um, to make that infested water designation, but um, from there on, it's it's basically um, confirming that it it's present. And uh, you know what we know of the history of this species that it'll uh, continue to expand. So uh, in a few years here, there'll be a lot more uh, abundant than they are right now. So they've probably been in there for a while to see this many adults. And to this uh, point, we don't really have anything to combat them. No, there's no cure for this. It's just, uh, you know, they, we, we do our best to try to keep them out of waters where they're not already present. Um, uh, zebra mussel seems to be one that's that's moving around um, pretty well. Uh, some are a little bit easier to contain, but... Zebra mussels can move by uh, both the adults. Um, a lot of times those are moved on uh, more of the hard pieces like docks and boat lifts and things like that that get moved around, or the villagers, which can get moved in water, like water buckets or live wells. Okay. Um, yeah, it's pretty frustrating. And really now at this point, the best we can do on Lake Bemidji uh, is prevent us, the people who have been on Lake Bemidji from taking it next lake over or, or, or another lake? Yes, uh, containment at this point. You know, try to prevent the further spread of it. Uh, that's that's about all we can do on that end. Um, we did take some proactive steps a number of years ago, and it's uh, it's looking like those are pretty wise now. And, um, you know, our hatchery, our walleye hatchery, actually gets water from Stump Lake, and Stump is part of the Bemidji chain and included in the infested water designation. So uh, fortunately, we took some steps about four or five years ago to start putting in some some biosecurity treatment there that uh, in the event that this would happen, because it's fairly likely, and uh, um, so we took these steps, and uh, we've got our 
uh, water treatment system up to specifications now to to cope with this uh, 35 micron screening for zebra villagers and UV filtration pretty state of the art setup out there but it did take a number of years to get that done, so it's kind of good that we started a number of years ago and, and proactively rather than waiting to do that now. Any guess as to how many years they have been in Bemidji? Uh, well, it it could be a number of years. It does does take some time, and it, it really depends on how they were introduced. If if they were introduced by villager transfer, those those have to grow to adulthood to reproduce and um, you know that takes a little bit of time but they could have been moved by a, a colony of adults right on a, a boat lift or a, a dock or something like that as well so um, but when uh, when we see a number of uh, adults around the lake like this coming from from multiple docks and stuff uh, they've been there for a while now and you know, it it takes a while for a, a population to become fully established, but we're we have some experience here. We've they were showing up in Cass Lake in uh, in 2014, so they've been in there now for years. So uh, that population is uh, has really expanded in there. We're we're seeing what uh, what can happen. And what it sounds like, uh, water gets even clearer in Lake Bemidji and Cass Lake. We're already clear water, so. Uh, this will make it even even clearer, and I know they've seen the effect um, as far as when they can catch walleyes now. It's it's even more of an early morning, late evening bite than it was before. Yeah, it does tend to do that on these types of lakes. Um, uh, Cass was pretty clear to begin with, but it got a lot clearer with the um, with the uh, zebra mussel. Um, Bemidji is a little bit of a darker lake than Cass, so it it may take a little bit longer for the water clarity, but it, it may be more obvious, too, when it occurs because we're coming from a darker state. And that'll affect where weeds grow and, and all kinds of things. Yeah, well, that, uh, you know, light penetration uh, determines how deep weeds will grow, so we might get some different vegetation patterns out there. Um, it will affect where the walleyes are and uh, when they're there, you know. Um, like you say, uh, Cass Lake has really turned over to quite a night fishery now. Um, it it had been that somewhat before, but uh, almost exclusively now people are fishing in those uh, low-light periods and even after dark. Now, we don't ultimately know um, what the, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25-year, you know, repercussions will be. Um we just can can basically predict based on what we've seen in the last four or five years on other lakes. Right, and it, uh, you know, it does different things in different types of water bodies, uh, you know, depending upon how the um, uh, zebra mussel uh, takes effect out there and and, uh, the type of basin you have and that kind of thing, but um, it's not necessarily, you know, the the end of the walleye fishery. There's some pretty good walleye fisheries where, where zebra mussels uh, occur and have for quite some time. Uh, Cass Lake is doing quite well from a walleye population standpoint. I know it's only been four years, but we're seeing... Um, we're seeing good uh, recruitment of young walleyes and uh, pretty good catch rates out there and stuff. So at this point, it hasn't had an impact there. There is a concern about the loss of productivity over time if they uh, if they suck up the nutrients and uh, and that's not available to the rest of the food chain. Right. Yeah. As of now, it just seems like what we're hearing is fish are in a different spot than they they were before. 
I think, yeah, that'll be the, the short term, that the things that we can expect uh, here. And um, at this point, I, I mentioned connected waters are also listed as infested. We haven't seen how widely they're distributed yet through the other lakes like Irving and uh, Carr and Marquette and those. Uh, but uh, you have to assume that they will eventually because there's boat traffic and, and free movement between those water bodies. So. Um, you know, it's it's quite a um, a, a large infestation when you um, you can add uh, four or five lakes all at once like this. I know there have been some experiments done on other lakes trying to combat this, but from what I gather, haven't heard of a lot of success yet. No, not much at all. It, uh, the idea on on some of those was to to try to catch it early when uh, you know where their adults were fairly well contained and and they know where the uh, um, the introduction came from. But uh, here we don't know that, and it it does look like it's pretty well spread at this point. And there really isn't any known uh, chemical treatment that can can do a lake-wide treatment for them. Okay, so basically, what we know now is that they're there. There's going to be some changes. Uh, short term, it does not seem to affect the numbers of walleyes and lakes, just where they hang out and when you can catch them. Am I got that right? Yep, that's right. You know, the, the water clarity thing is, is what will be the most obvious to fishermen and really change the habits of you know where the fish are and, and where the fishermen will be fishing. And uh, again, we will we'll probably see some of that. Uh, Increase in in vegetation um, as the as the light can penetrate deeper. That might help some species like uh, like muskies and you know these shifts always uh, when when something one thing suffers another thing gains. So uh, there's there's always that too. So there's still a lot of unknowns with uh, with these zebra mussel infestations. But uh, I think we we won't panic. We'll still continue to manage for walleyes out there. All right, sounds good. And Gary, again, the, the number one thing we can now do, uh, and we've been harping on this probably for close to a decade now, but even more so, if you're fishing on Lake Bemidji and you take that boat off, you have got to go through the steps, all the steps, to make sure you're not, you got nothing on there. Yep, all the boats, you know, clean them up, wipe them dry, keep, uh, do the best there, but uh, also the folks that are moving Docks, boat lifts around stuff. Uh, don't be moving those from one lake to another. Oh, yeah. Very good point. I know uh, some got, some people have uh, really gotten uh, pretty sophisticated cleaning systems at their houses where they really, really hose those boats down with hot water and everything, and uh, I think more and more boat owners should really seriously consider that. Yeah, hot water a, is a good uh, good way to disinfect the inside of your boat, the live walls, and, and get all that system cleaned out. And um you know, getting a boat in and out of the water, um, when you're going out of a public access, it, your boat isn't in there long enough for a lot of things to um, to attach like the adults. But what, what's really the uh, um, the problem is if you leave a boat in the water for, say, a couple of weeks in a boat harbor or on a, on a dock and then you take it out, there can be a lot of the things attached to it at that point that you really need to uh, disinfect. Okay. Gary Barnard is the area fisheries manager out of the Bemidji office, talking about a subject he he probably hoped he would never have to, uh, but uh, but there it is. Gary, we appreciate your time today. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Kevin. Up next, we check in with the AIS specialist for our neck of the woods, Nicole Kovar out of Park Rapids. More of the great outdoors with Kev Jackson next on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. 
Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, sponsored by DS Beverages, Bonded Lock and Key, and Northern Surplus Northern Outdoors. You can check us out at kbunsportsradio.com. Click on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. And for those of you listening right now, you know you can subscribe to the podcast on Podcast One and iTunes. Checking in today with Nicole Kovar. She's the AIS specialist in our area, based out of Park Rapids, covering a lot of lakes here. And, of course, uh, Nicole, the big news uh, that broke late last week was the fact that we have uh, zebra mussels confirmed now in Lake Bemidji. And, uh, obviously, we didn't want to hear that, but uh, there you have it. No, we don't ever want to hear that. Um, it is something that we've been working on uh, since July to com- um, find more conclusive evidence of the zebra mussels there. Um, back in July, we got a report of a zebra mussel being found in the stomach contents of a perch, um, and that was the result of a, a fishing event up at Lake Bemidji State Park. And um, then we did follow-up diving, snorkeling, villager toes, um, and dock and lifts. Uh, searches were scheduled in the fall here, and that's when we finally found more. Okay. So, yeah, ex- explain that. Uh, we, we, we had uh, somebody checking out the docks, and sure enough, there they were, huh? Yeah, and the, that will do um, schedule those a lot of the times in the fall because um, it's easier to find them. They've had a season of growth to make, you know, so they're bigger, so they're easier to spot um, if we're having a trouble locating them in the water, in the lake. And, and that's ultimately we were having trouble finding any more in the lake. You know, that could be for various reasons. Um, lake Bemidji has a lower, lower water quality if any, or clarity, if anyone has noticed. Um, and it's got quite a bit of vegetation, aquatic vegetation, which when you're under the water makes it really difficult to see things around you. So it basically like you're walking through a thick forest and then you only have uh, a small view, like your body width to see. So it makes things pretty difficult. Also, um, the hard surfaces that we look at would be covered with algae or, or plants or whatever. So again, making things difficult to see. So we'll schedule these dock and lifts. They're on the land so that we can um, have a clear view and we use the AIS dog. So if anyone doesn't know, there are, I believe, four dogs in the state that are trained to scent zebra mussels, and one of those lives up in Kelleher with its handler. So we were scheduled to have that dog come down, and while we were setting up permissions, uh, the county AIS technician was, was out and about, and he was doing some searching because he's out anyway, and found um, a couple of adult zebra mussels, um, one at the Northwoods Public Access on the dock there, and then another on, or a handful more on um, the dock down at Doubletree. And then went around um, to the places he got permissions on and found quite a bit more. Um, we also had a lake service provider bring in some samples from the East Shore, and then a grad student from BSU um, found some and brought those in from the West Shore. So. We have a, a lake-wide distribution. Okay. Um, the one that was found in July, so what I want to point out, because you know, we just found out the news broke, um, but is this the start of the infestation? Um, and I look at the facts that I have. Um, we had the zebra mussel in the perch. 
that was five eighths inch. So in my mind, when it was found in July, if it was this year's villager, it wouldn't have time to grow to that size. So it was last year's villager. So I believe this isn't a first year introduction. It likely was a smaller pocket of, of population that got to a point um, where there was enough of them to produce enough villagers um, to make it obvious and, and lake wide. So um, uh, that's you know important to note that the sign going up isn't what stops AIS from spreading. Mm -hmm. You know, it's humans spread it, and humans can prevent it. So the laws that are in place are designed uh, to prevent the spread of AIS by clean, drain, and dry. Um, so it's important to note that everyone should be doing that, should still be doing that. Still be diligent because zebra mussels are not the only AIS out there. Um, we do have starry stonewort on our doorstep here, and um, it's important to prevent that from coming into Lake Bemidji or any other lake for that matter. Okay. Now, a lot of people that I've mentioned this to said, well, this is disappointing, but it was only a matter of time. And that's kind of the, the opposite attitude we need, right? That is very much the opposite attitude we need. We do want to slow the spread. So our goal in our program, you know, to prevent, but then also to slow the spread so that nature and research can catch up, mm -hmm. right? Um, we're not saying, we're not making any claim that this is, um, these laws put in place are 100% effective 100% of the time. Uh, but it will minimize the risk to the smallest possible point we can get it and slow down the spread. If we didn't have any of these procedures in place, if we didn't do any of this AIS prevention work, imagine how quickly these would spread. So maybe it was a matter of time. Um, it's up for debate how much time that would have been. And I think, um, you know, there's more, more on the horizon, too. There's things in, that aren't in our state that could get here um, we don't want compounding problems. You know, we don't want spiny water flea and starry stonewort on top of zebra mussels in Lake Bemidji. So um, just continue to do it and prevent and slow those from coming, and uh, maybe we can get a better handle on how we could manage zebra mussels or how we manage the fisheries in response to um, one of these infestations because really the baseline is changing, right? So... Bemidji has zebra mussels now, and we'll have to learn how to live with the system as it is. Yeah. Is it possible it just came through the river? Highly unlikely. Okay. Um, zebra mussels don't swim. They can't uh, swim up a current. They drift. So their villager would um, get caught in the, and that's the microscopic baby velvet, zebra mussel, they would get caught in the water current and be swept downstream. They live in that villager stage uh, for about three weeks until their shell and they're heavy enough to settle out. And they would find an, a, an attachment place. Uh, they can, it's shown, release. Um, like if they only put out a few threads to hold them there, they can release and, and float to another place. Um, to maybe find a better, but they have no 
way of swimming. So up the dam, you know, up Power Dam and up the Mississippi from Cass, uh, highly, highly, highly unlikely. And then um, fish movement, you know, is there any fish movement up Power Dam? No, I don't believe so. So um, fish eating them and bringing bring them up or something getting attached and swimming up the water, I doubt it. So okay. No, it was us humans, likely. Okay. And the genetic work being done uh, by the U of M has shown that these are um, genetically similar pockets throughout the state. So where it was once thought that maybe there were these super spreader lakes, they're showing genetically similar pockets of like the Alexandra area, the Brainerd area. So um, it's now more thought of that uh, it's the localized um, movement that's moving them from lake to lake. Okay. Um, So what have we seen thus far uh, on Cass Lake? What has occurred because of zebra mussels? Um, well, it's, um, you know, these, these things in biology, what will happen usually take more years to um, really realize and research, you know, at least you need, they say, a good 20 years of data to make any conclusions. I know that they are pretty abundant. You know, they cover most hard surfaces, right? And um, as far as what the fish uh, populations have done, that's yet to be determined. I know I did get um, recently an email on um, because they're looking at plankton toes on Cass Lake and, you know, those peak villager counts and what it does to the plankton populations. And there is a definite decline in the plankton populations. And so that's changing that base of the food web. And that will be important um, because that will ultimately that means it's removing a portion of food web for you know larval fishes or other invertebrates that need to eat that then the larval fish need to eat and grow. Um, so exactly how it's affecting fisheries, I think most people are um, thinking about that is yet to be determined. But it's likely something is being affected. It. I mean, anecdotal reports I have gotten from people who fish a lot on Cass Lake is that the water is definitely clearer and the window for catching walleye has shrunk uh, to even more of the, you know, dawn or dusk. Most definitely, yeah. Walleye, like, you know, they're out and about um, in darker water, right? So Mm -hmm. the clearer the water, the deeper they'll go or they're hiding the vegetation. Um, Definitely, say, I don't know if anyone saw um, or went to the public meeting on Lake Winnebogashish, but um, that water quality or clarity has doubled since adults were found in Winnebogashish. Um, I'm not quite sure if they're tracking that just as well. Um, you know, there are measurements taken every year, but it probably hasn't been worked up yet what the difference is between when they were first found, although I could do a quick check. Um, and find out. But um, water clarity changes the behavior, for sure, and it will change the depth at which plants grow, too. So that's something, behavioral change. You know, and and I'm not casting aspersions on anybody, because I I have a hard time wrapping my head around this, too. 
Um, you know, it's so hard to think long term. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's just very difficult for us to do. But one of the things, uh, you know, talking to Andy Hafes every year when I ask the aquatic biologist questions is that's one of the things he always asks. What's it going to mean 50 years from now? Which, of course, we have no clue whatsoever. No, no, we, we don't. Um, I think, like I said before, it's changing the baseline. And really, if you think about it, we've already changed the baseline. You know, from year, 100 years ago, our actions, no matter what they are, and, and maybe just um, increased population, you know, human population has changed how the leaks are, um, but the baseline has changed. And you hear stories of how people used to fish uh, vermilion and catch them, you know, however many, and can't do that anymore or something of that nature. Or, um, you know, how many ducks there used to be, and now it's just not the same. So the baseline's changed, and this is just going to be another um, piece of that change. Um, And how we respond to it, um, whether fishing regulations change or or that um, will play a part. Now, I, unfortunately, I do believe it will be at the demise of some of our native species, uh, especially of our native species of mussels and snails. Um, those will likely be the most affected because their food source is direct, you know, they're competing direct against zebra mussels for it. Okay. Um, and yet that is not the only thing you're spending your time on. Uh, you were just telling me, uh, you know, before we uh, started recording here, that there were a number of other things you were you were working on this summer, on black duck, wolf, and even Beltrami. Yes, there were a number of other things. So I can be uh, here and there from day to day, from different species to different species. Um, and in between, one, I'll do the other. And uh, this summer, we had a report of faucet snail on black duck. Uh, faucet snail is shown to carry three trematodes that cause mortality in waterfall. Mm. And um, a live species was delivered by another division of the, of the DNR. And I spent quite a few hours trying to find more. It's a big lake, and it's... Um, really difficult to search that shoreline. Um, there's a lot of cattail and bulrush in there. So uh, being that the live specimens were delivered um, by, you know, people within the biological sciences, we did list that one for faucet snail. And also uh, Wolf Lake, that report went out. Wolf Lake has been found to have sorry stonewort. Um, that was found by um, U of M Maysirk to Starry Trek, and that was on August 18th, where volunteers go out to public accesses, and they throw vegetation rake and look for starry stonewort and other things while they're there. Um, and that uh, event found two different lakes that had starry stonewort at them. Wolf had a, a large population there at an undeveloped access uh, between Little and if you want to say big wolf, okay. um, there by the WMA. And uh, I figured that covers a, a high abundance, um, about 3.5 acres. And then the other lake was Lake Beltrami, and at public access, 
one strand of starry stonewort was found um, from rhizoid to bulbil to viable um, cells and nodes. I spent many hours at the access doing transects, um, and I cannot find any more starry stonewort. I also did a meander survey around the entire littoral zone, and we didn't find any large beds of starry stonewort around the lake. So um, that one will be we will be monitoring uh, pretty closely this coming summer, um, and if we do find more, then we can follow through with some type of um, treatment. And I'm right now I'm hope, I'm thinking it'll be some type of hand pulling um, effort. Um, and and I got the question, you know, well why don't we do something now? Um, to treat, but if there's no target species, and, and for my program, target species is the invasive, no target species present, then I cannot permit, you know, a, a treatment being done. And if, if there isn't anything there I can find, I can't very well hand pull it. So um, that one we will be monitoring. Now at Wolf, um, you know, it's pretty large, so hand pulling is out of the question. Um, copper isn't showing much of an effect, a long-term effects down um, in you know, Coronas and, and Stearns County where they're doing different treatments. Um, so the decision was made um, to either get some more information, maybe a better treatment. Um, volunteers are, are willing to help hand pull, so maybe we'll pursue that. Um, but th th those efforts aren't showing to eradicate it. You know, and, and we're trying to learn some new information and, and that um, has a potential of spreading it farther because of breaking, so you want to be very careful there. So that is um, Wolf Lake. We'll also be monitoring that one. Um, I'll be doing um, yearly point-intercept surveys to um, track the spread of these and um, lend to the research out there on its invasive nature. Um, same as at Moose Lake up by Pennington. You know, I do yearly point-intercept surveys on that. Um, and also, we don't know much about its life cycle, so we don't know if it expands quickly and then dies back down and then starts to mingle with the native plants. Um, we don't know that, but that's speculation. So looks to be like maybe it's going to be a, a huge problem, but is it really after it's been here a while? We don't know. So I'm working on trying to answer some of those questions. Well, tell us a little more. I mean, we, we talked a lot about it a couple of years ago because there were several lakes up here that, you know, got infestations at that time. What exactly is Starry Stonewort? What is our concern of what it might do? Ah, yes. Starry Stonewort is a macroalgae. So it looks like a vascular plant, um, but it's actually separate cells, each separate cell connected together. And we have a native uh, macroalgae in the same family. Actually, there are many different in the um, genus, but um, most people call it skunk grass or musk grass. It's a cara. So we have a native here. But starry stonewort, unlike our native, can grow in deeper depths and can fill the water column, whereas our native, it will stay shorter. Our native can create large beds, too, um, and 
likely fishermen have seen, you know, the beds of Kara, right? And those can, you know, roll and float up when they start dying back. But starry stonewort, on the other hand, because it's maybe 10 feet deep and to the, to the top, can, can create a bigger problem when it starts doing that, when it starts matting and, and floating and, and washing up on shore. Um, so that is going to create um, a recreational problem, a boating problem, you know, a use and access problem. And we're not sure... Uh, if it would have an effect on fish habitat, uh, but it could potentially have um, a, a negative effect on uh, spawning habitat, or say you know fish being able to actually even utilize it uh, because it gets pretty thick, uh, multiple branching. Um, think of an umbrella shape, but the umbrella shape starts right at the bottom. <laughs> mm. So. Um, very, very thick. When I survey it, you know, I have a double-sided garden rake welded together on a rope, and that's what I use to grab plants so I can pull them in to look at them. And in, you know, it was 10 feet of water, and, and the starry was about one foot down from the surface, and I put the rake in, and it just sat on top of it. Wow. Sat on top. <laughs> so it wouldn't... Um, sink through it, and, and that causes the problem, too. And then it doesn't respond well to treatment, so I, I mentioned the copper. So because it's a conglomerate of cells all attached together, um, a copper product would have to touch each and every cell to completely kill off the entire thing. And when you have a thick you know, patch of it like that, the likelihood that you're going to touch each and every cell and kill each and every cell is almost impossible. Um, so there will be some viable parts remaining, and then it starts regrowing again. So the um, challenge is to figure out how to best, because we're not once it gets in, we can't get it out. So how to best manage it once it's in there to reduce impacts, um, and allow for for use and access, you know, of, of the public and and their riparian shoreline and the water in in front of it. Okay. Oh, this is complicated stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I have a long explanation. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, no one sentence answers. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand that. Um, and I was talking to Chip Lear today, and he said he seemed to him that there were just a lot more zebra mussel reports out this year than there had been for the last few years before. Is that due to more checking, or is there greater infestation? Oh, just in the time I've been up here, I know there are more and more people involved, um, more and more volunteers involved in early detection going on. So it could be a combination of both, really. Mm-hmm. Um, more people looking, um, more people educated on it. And, you know, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to educate people um, to be aware and to, to do the right thing and to clean, drain, dry, and to learn which of these is an invasive species, you know, which of these is not like the other, doesn't fit in. Mm. Um, so it could be um, definitely a combination. I don't know if that's speeding up. In fact, I think we ran some numbers um, and our region had less infestations this year. 
uh, mm-hmm. than last. So, you know, it might, region by region, maybe it'll be a little different from year to year. Um, and we tend to wait for the annual report to come out to see the difference from from previous years to this, because um, we'll have that regional perspective right over here. Um, but this year was was fewer. Now, maybe that will get bumped up because of the Bemidji chain here, right? So a lot of lakes were listed with Bemidji, um, but the other ones are listed because of connectivity and navigability. Mm -hmm. So when I know that boats are actually driving from one to the other regularly or have to in the case of, you know, no public access or no no drive-in ramp, then it's just, um, you know, time before those boats move villagers or, or adults into the next lake. Cass, for example, um, we listed quite a few around Cass, um, and now adults are are being found in each one of those ones that we listed. So from Market, and then connecting up to Wolf uh, was listed. So that will bump up the numbers, but it doesn't necessarily mean that adults were found. So that's a little misleading, and um, sometimes when you look back on on past years, and there were high numbers of lakes listed, you know, knowing whether or not they were listed because of connectivity or whether there was confirmed adults is important, too, because it might look like there were a lot, but it was just connectivity. Okay. So lots of factors could be involved there. I'm trying to remember now. Um, we have zebra mussels in leech, do we not? Bellagers work. Bellagers. Okay. So that's where we're at there. We've confirmed Bellagers at this point. Well, uh, you know, I have not found any personally. So um, adults were brought into um, the fisheries o- area fisheries office down there in Walker um, that were taken off a boat that was moored at Blue Water Lodge, believe is the name of the marina, um, which is in Shingabee Bay. And that, um, so Shingabee on the lake is kind of right across from there. They have docks that stay in the water year-round. Um, But this boat was brought over to the Walker Marina, and they were cleaning it off, and they found some. And that was last year. Um, So it's it's really uh, interesting, the happenings of the villager toes and things. So in 16, we had two different villager toes, uh, two months apart in two different locations, each having significant numbers of villagers in them. So that's pretty much a no-brainer that there's a breeding population somewhere. That's not incidental. Sure. Uh, but the following year, and all the plankton toes throughout the summer, and I believe there's over 10 locations, and they're um, monitored monthly, there were no villagers found. So that's weird. Um, then we have the adults, four adults, brought into the fisheries office. I went to, to back down there. Um, we snorkeled in Capcona Bay. I didn't find anything, and that's where one of the villagers' toes was taken in 2016. Didn't find anything. Um, and also in the main body, we did some snorkeling, didn't find anything. It's a lot of water. They could be, you know, could be anywhere. Now, this year, um, some more villagers were found, but in lower numbers. I also had um, a report of an adult, but no sample was delivered to me. And again, the boat, same say. Weird. The same sailboat that was moored again at Blue Water Lodge 
had a few on it again this year. But I've had um, snorkeling done in Shingleby Bay. None were found. Actually, U of M came up to collect some if they could. None were found. So it's it's really hard um, to know where they're at in, in Leech Lake. Um, with the villagers, though, it's hard to say that they're not there. I mean, it's possible mm-hmm. to say they're not there. Okay. Uh, they're just where. <laughs> right. Yeah, and they don't stay in the same. I mean, they're not permanent. Um, they are for their lifespan, but uh, they might die off at one place, uh, and then the population expands up in another. And they see that a lot down in Gull, where they'll kind of move, move around in these little pockets, right? Um, not not by swimming or, or crawling, but by um, the villagers settling in another place and, and the parents dying off. And so it could move around. Okay. Um, let's see. What else? Oh, my next question. Yeah, so so there, oh, Winnie, correct? Winnie. Cass and Bemidji. Uh-huh. Okay. They, so, yeah, as well as others. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was, I was um, going with the biggies first. Those are the biggies and leech. Right, yeah. Not in the same chain, but eventually to the same watershed okay well um, oh. yeah those are um, those are the biggest probably per volume of water right in our area those are the biggest um, but you know they're not the only Red Lake is right there and mm-hmm. we want to prevent or slow the spread of any invasive species into Red Lake or um, I've got no reports in Lake of the Woods yet, and I want to keep it that way. So um, it's unfortunate that that they're here in Bemidji, and um, but we need to still be di- diligent, stop any more from coming in. You know, people aren't going to stop using the lake. Right. You know, it's it's not going to die off. We're it's going to change the way we use it change the way we fish it, um, change the way we manage it, but it, it'll it still be um, an important resource for our area. All right. Anything else we should know about before we wrap it up today? I um, just want to reiterate that um, there's more out there. We don't want the compounding issues on top of each other. So to continue to clean, drain, dry, and fall is the perfect time to look on your own lakes. If you're on a different lake, look on your own lakes as you pull docks and lifts out. Um, to for you know the earlier we find something on one lake, you know we can protect other lakes. Um, pe- people's awareness tends to increase um, when they you know know they're on an infested, going to a non-infested and um, making sure that they are more diligent in that way. So I like to know, you know, and I'm sure other other um, other people want to find out as quickly as possible and, and um, make sure that the other lakes are protected and, and things aren't spread to that. So clean, drain, dry, check your docks and lifts. Okay. And uh, next year we'll have zero new infestations. <laughs> you are an optimist. I am. <laughs> 
definitely trying to be. Well, yeah, and and I think that the vast majority of people are concerned about this, and they're doing what they can, and hopefully that just continues to grow. Yes, I think the vast majority, at least the vast majority that I come in contact with, and maybe that's just because I'm coming in contact with them, but um, I do think that the vast majority are, and it's increasing. I've seen it increase the amount of people doing this and volunteering and helping out and just knowing what these are. I've seen that increase, you know, more than tenfold. So okay. um, we can do it, and it's it's going to ch- take a social norm change, I think, you know, and um, it might be just that 1% we're missing um, and getting, capturing that, that whatever 1% of, of the users that um, maybe don't know the procedures. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, resources available, I'm sure, on the DNR website for those who want to be better educated. Definitely all kinds of resources out there um, on uh, www.dnr.mn.us. And there is an invasive species page link, and there's an an aquatic page link on that. Um, Also, to check the invasive species list um, is on that link as well. When you go out to a lake, know what lakes are infested, which aren't. You know, in in thinking about... um, what you do on a daily basis if you like to fish more than one lake, you know, fish the infested one last, and then get your boat decon. You know, go the extra mile. Make sure you get all the plants, mud, animals off, but it doesn't hurt to go get the decontamination. And that's, you know, when we're out on a lake, I just go get it hot, pressure washed every time. And a lot of them are free now. You know, Beltrami County offers a free decontamination. So people take advantage of that, and, and they should, and more and more people should. It's out there. Also, Harbor County has a, a free one as well, and the DNR has some that are stationed. Um, I did hear that this coming year the DNR will station one of their portables and rotate between Cass and Bemidji. So okay. utilize those. It's important. Nicole Kovar is the AIS specialist out of the uh, office in Park Rapids, talking about all things AIS today. Nicole, I always enjoy talking with you and getting educated, and hopefully uh, you know, people are taking notes and paying attention. I hope so, too. Nice talking with you. This has been Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Hear it exclusively on KBUN-FM 104.5, Thursdays at 1240 and Saturday mornings at 8. If you love great food, but you'd rather not go out, you got to check out the Caviar app. With Caviar, the restaurant comes to you. You get premium chef-cooked meals without the reservation. Caviar makes it super easy and makes it happen. And just for our listeners, Caviar is offering 50% off two orders, up to $20 value per order. All you have to do is put in the offer code NYCPOD22 at checkout. Remember, that's 50% off two orders, up to $20 value per order with offer code NYCPOD22. Download the Caviar app and use offer code NYCPOD22. 